Today on Encounter God's Truth, Bible scholar Dr. John Whitcomb takes us back to the resurrection account in Luke chapter 24 for the third message in a series called Viewing Christ in the Scriptures. On the basis of Jesus' method of teaching about himself, we turn to the minor prophets to learn more about our Savior, the Lamb of God. If you've missed either of the first two messages in this series on Viewing Christ, you can hear them again at sermonaudio.com slash Whitcomb. And you'll want to do that because focusing on Christ is a wonderful way to maintain a biblical mindset of thanksgiving. In that light, let's open our Bibles together to Luke chapter 24 to learn what Jesus was teaching on that day he rose from the dead. He was walking on a road to Emmaus, a nearby village near Jerusalem, and met two frustrated, depressed disciples who were so sad because they had hoped, they had thought that Jesus might have been the coming king. And Jesus began to enlighten them, illumine them. In fact, in a gentle way, rebuked them for not understanding all the Old Testament verses, revelations about why he was coming and what he would do when he arrived. And uh, last time we had a little glimpse into some of those passages in uh, Genesis and Numbers and Deuteronomy and some passages in Isaiah and the minor, major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel. Amazingly, friends, even in the so-called minor prophets, which are minor only in the sense that some of them are, most of them are shorter books, but with a major message, as we shall see in a moment, to tell who Jesus really is, why he came into the world, to die in your place and mine, friend, and to rise from the dead to demonstrate once for all and forever his victory over Satan, sin, and death. And as he walked along that road, like he walks along your road today and mine. He says, Dear one, open your mind and your heart to listen to what the Old Testament prophets had to say about my coming. And we're just going to take a little glimpse, friends, at some of these so-called minor prophets, like Hosea, chapter 3, verse 4, For the sons of Israel remain for many days without king or prince. Think of that. It's already been 2,500 years that Israel's had no king. In Jerusalem and they won't have a sacrifice they can't get to that temple you see to offer sacrifices anymore or a sacred pillar and without ephod or household idols in other words all these religious forms and and things to supplement and implement the worship of their God in the temple are gone afterward however don't give up on Israel God has a plan and a purpose for that nation someday again listen to that fifth verse Hosea 3, 5. Afterward, the sons of Israel will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. Now remember, David their king means Jesus, the son of David, the greater son of David. And they will come trembling to the Lord and to his goodness in the last days. That's what you and I have to do, friends. We have to come trembling to the Lord and confess that we have sinned and failed and only the finished work of Jesus on the cross when he said, It's finished pays for our total debt of obligation to a holy God who made us in his image and likeness. And I say, well, thank you, Lord, for that amazing prophecy, that amazing prophecy. Now let's turn to Hosea chapter 12. This is an amazing statement concerning Jacob, the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. In the womb, he took his brother by the heel. You remember Jacob and Esau, the conflict they had for years in their home. But listen to this now. In his maturity, he contended with God. Yes, he wrestled with the angel, the angel Malak Yahweh, the 
pre-incarnate Christ by that Jabbok River and prevailed. Genesis 32 tells that story. He wrestled with the Son of God himself, and for the rest of his life he limped as a visible, physical reminder of that confrontation. Yes, Jesus wanted his heart and his mind. Now we turn to another of the minor prophets, Micah, chapter 5. Oh, how famous this is, how precious. But as for you, Bethlehem, Ephratah, too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you one will go forth for me, to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. He had no beginning, no end. He's the Alpha, the Omega, and yet 2,000 years ago, the second person of the Godhead added a human nature to his divine nature, one person with two natures now, divine and human, and he came into the world in what town? Bethlehem, that first Christmas night. And I say, thank you, Lord, because that is the one that will save us from our sins forever when he comes back and glorifies us to be like him. Now we turn to another of the so-called minor prophets. Actually, Zechariah, with 14 chapters, is even longer than Daniel, with his 12 chapters. But listen to this statement in chapter 3, verse 8. Speaking to the high priest Joshua, who came back, you remember, from the Babylonian captivity to help in the reconstruction of the temple in Jerusalem. Now listen, Joshua, the high priest, you and your friends, Behold, I'm going to bring in my servant, the branch, Tzemach. That's a special name, as we've seen before, for Jesus, the Messiah of Israel. I will bring in my servant, the branch. Well, who is this branch? Well, look at chapter 6 of Zechariah, verse 12. Then say to him, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, a man whose name is Branch, for he will branch out from where he is, and he will build the temple of the Lord. Yes, it is he who will build the temple of the Lord, and he who will bear the honor and sit and rule on his throne. Thus he will be a priest on his throne, and the council of peace will be between the two offices. That's a very important statement, friends. No king of Israel was ever allowed to function as a priest. Uzziah the king tried to and was stricken with leprosy. No there is a distinction in the Bible between a king and a priest. But Jesus is the king of kings, the Lord of lords, and also the high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Two different offices, two different functions in one person. He will be a priest on his throne. A very important and amazing statement. We turn now to Zechariah chapter 9. This is very familiar to all of us, I'm sure, friends. Listen carefully about Jesus. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Now watch how he's coming. This is the triumphal entry, you remember, as he presented himself officially to be the king of Israel. Behold, your king is coming. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a what? On a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Yes, and he will speak peace to the nations and his dominion will be from the sea to sea and from the river, that's Euphrates, to the ends of the earth. So you see the two comings of Jesus merged into one here. The first coming, 2,000 years ago, he offered himself to the nation as their king. They rejected him, crucified him, as, as you know. But he's coming again, friends, at the end of this age, 
And when he introduces his kingdom, he told us to pray about this. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What is he going to do when he comes again? He will speak peace to the nations and his dominion will be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Oh, we long for a kingdom like that, friends. It will be just, holy, righteous, and total. It will encompass the whole world. Yes, we do long for Christ's kingdom to come. Luke encapsulated Jesus' message to two disciples on the day of his resurrection in this manner. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. We're following that same path as we walk through the Old Testament scriptures in our attempt to learn from the prophecies given about Christ. It's because of the importance of teaching such as this that Whitcomb Ministries is thankful for the opportunity to bring you Encounter God's Truth each week at this time. Stay in touch with us on our homepage at whitcombministries.org. I'm your host, Wayne Shepherd. joyful to be with you as we continue now in our survey of the Minor Prophets. Here's Dr. Whitcomb. Friends, once again, Zechariah gives us a glimpse into the function and experience of Jesus hundreds of years in advance. Listen to Zechariah 11, verse 12. And I said to them, If it is good in your sight, give me my wages, but if not, never mind. So they weighed out 30 shekels of silver as my wages. How awful! Judas Iscariot betrayed Jesus for that amount of money. A slave. The wages of a slave. But more spectacular, of course, is chapter 12, verse 10. Zechariah 12:10. I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication. Now listen. So that they will look on me whom they have pierced. Oh, no. Pierced him. Crucified him. Yes. And they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son. And I say that is absolutely amazing. But now listen to Zechariah 13:7. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd and against the man my associate, declares the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd that the sheep may be scattered, and I will turn my hand against the little ones. Yes, God the Father killed Jesus. Jesus said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Psalm 22. So here the shepherd is smitten. Yes, our shepherd had to die on that cross. Finally, in Zechariah 14, we read this amazing prophecy about Jesus, beginning in verse 4. And in that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, that's where he ascended, you remember, to heaven, from that Mount of Olives, just east of Jerusalem. And he will come back to that place again, on the Mount of Olives. Listen to verse 16. And it will come about that any who are left of all the nations that come against Jerusalem will go out from year to year to worship whom? The King, the Lord of hosts, and to celebrate the Feast of Booths. Yes, the King, the Lord of hosts, will be there personally every fall for a thousand times during the coming kingdom age. I say, well, thank you, Lord, for these amazing... But wait, there's one more minor prophet. Don't forget the last one, Malachi, who says in chapter 3, verse 1, Behold, I'm going to send my messenger, that's John the Baptist. Now watch what John is going to do. He will clear the way before me, and the Lord, whom you seek, will suddenly come to his temple. Yes, the messenger of the covenant, in whom you delight. Behold, he's coming, says the Lord of hosts, but who can endure the day of his coming? That's the second coming of Christ, and who can stand when he appears? 
for he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. And I say, Lord, I'm not sure if I'm quite ready to meet my Savior when he comes again. Help me to repent of my sin, to turn to him. And friends, that's the whole point. Are you ready to meet Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Lord? He's gracious, he's loving, but he has standards, he has requirements that only he can meet the full requirement of entrance into the presence of a holy God, which is the blood he shed on that cross for you and for me. Yes, that blood takes away the sin, like John the Baptist said, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Now, friends, we've only touched on some of these Old Testament passages. If you're interested in seeing our chart on the Messianic prophecies, uh, turn to our web page, please. SermonAudio.com slash Whitcomb. And we hope that chart of all the Old Testament prophecies will be enlightening, illuminating, and encouraging to you to know that Jesus came according to a perfect, predicted plan. Yes, God the Father wants us all to know who his son Jesus really is. And friends, how do we know him? How do we really relate to him? We're not just reading verses. We're talking to a person who, like they were on the road to Emmaus, were told about these verses, beginning with Moses and all the prophets. Jesus told them the things about himself. But until their eyes were open to recognize who he was and their relationship to him, it was just an academic exercise. And I say, Lord, I don't want to be just a scholar, a student. I just don't want to study the Bible as a textbook. I want it to be the living word of God, which it really is, that I might learn to walk in your light. And at the end of a long, dark tunnel, which characterizes too many of our lives, friends, today, we see a light shining, and it's not a freight train heading for us. It's the light of the world, Jesus, who said, I am the light of the world. And I say, Lord, thank you for that blessed assurance that he is going to illumine our way to heaven, that we walk with him step by step, take him at his word, trust him for every need, moment by moment. And so you see in the Gospel of Luke, as those men walked with Jesus on that road, they said to themselves, Oh, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scripture to us? We want our hearts to burn within us, don't we? And friends, we have seen what the Old Testament did say about the coming of Messiah, the Prince, the King, Jesus Christ the Lord. Now let's consider some of the New Testament perspectives on how we can relate to him, our Savior, our Lord, our King. You say, well, I just don't understand these things. I don't see him. 2,000 years ago he was here, but I need to see him now. But listen carefully now. Hebrews chapter 11. Faith, that's faith in what God has said, taking God at his word in the Bible. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, Hebrews 11.1. 1. It isn't some vague thing, because you see, this isn't just something that some mere person, a mere fellow human, told you and me. It's something God himself has said in the Bible, which the Holy Spirit wrote. And you know who the Holy Spirit is? He's the one who created us in the image of Jesus Christ and the Father. We have his image and likeness, and therefore we have the capacity with our God-given conscience, our soul, our heart, our mind, our emotions, to listen to what God says. And the Holy Spirit illumines the word. You remember what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit? He will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. 
So here's something solid and substantive if we know who God really is. Thank you, Lord, for speaking to us in such powerful fashion. So all through Hebrews 11, we have Old Testament saints who walked by faith. By faith, they took God at his word. You say, now, what am I supposed to believe? What has God told me that I'm supposed to know and to do? Well, take, for example, Romans 10, verse 9. If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, now listen, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. You don't have to know all kinds of things. You have to know the basic message of this book. You remember John 3.16, don't you? God so loved the world, that includes you and me, that he gave his only begotten son, that's Jesus, that whoever believes in him, you don't have to see him, you must believe what God says about him. You will not perish, but have right now and forevermore everlasting life. Now, in your heart, you say, I want that. You know, it's amazing, isn't it, about the heart? When you turn back to the book of Proverbs, we find some things about us that maybe we didn't think about in quite that way before. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 12. The hearing ear and the seeing eye, the Lord has made both of them. You know what? Without a hearing ear, things would be so different, so different. You can see the struggle that deaf people really have. But with these amazing things that God put on each side of our head that are connected with our brain, when a totally silent room suddenly has music turned on, a tape recorder or something, there's no question, no debate. The music is on. I can hear with my ears. It is self-authenticating sound that comes to our ear and to our brain. Thank you, Lord, because the hearing ear, you made them. You made these ears of mine. Thank you. But look what else God made. A seeing eye. What does that mean? These two things in the front of our face, connected also with our brain, have the amazing God-designed capacity to instantaneously detect the presence of visible light. If you're in a dark, dark room, and all of a sudden the light goes on, you don't debate, is the light on? The light is self-authenticating when it's connected with what? God-designed, God-created eyes. Marvelous, complex organisms. Yes, thank you, Lord, for that. But friends, not only a hearing ear, not only a seeing eye, marvelous those those instruments really are, as we're discovering more and more, but also, back in Deuteronomy 29, verse 4, God talks about a heart that he gives us. Yes, a heart as well as eyes to see and ears to hear. And yes, that heart is the center of our personal being that distinguishes us totally, infinitely from any animal that ever walked the earth a capacity to know, to love the Lord from our heart. Just like it says over here in chapter 30 of Deuteronomy. Yes, verse 2, listen to this. And you return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart and soul according to all that I command you today and your sons. And I say, now Lord, what does that mean? It means that from the moment of creation... The human race in the persons of Adam and Eve had a capacity to relate to God in their heart. Now, no animal has that. We're infinitely different from animals. They have no heart for God. They don't know him. They can't know him at all, anywhere, ever. But when we have the word of God, illumined by the blessed Holy Spirit, coming to our personal being, the heart of hearts can respond, must respond 
to what God has said because of who he is and how he designed us, you see. So we say, now, Lord, that's an amazing thing, that we have all these God-created things that were created in us from Adam and Eve and procreated in us from our mother and our father. An amazing capacity to know the Lord. So we can't say, well, I can't know him, I can't see him, I don't, these are, things are too confusing to me, too difficult. No, friends, they are marvelously clear and absolutely sufficient for every human who's ever walked the earth. And someday at the judgment seat of Christ for Christians and the final white throne judgment for non-believers, everything that our heart has done to the word of God, to the will of God, to the convicting work of the Holy Spirit will be brought to light. And we will receive exactly what we deserve for what, how we've responded, reacted to him. And I say, Lord, thank you. You are totally fair, loving, gracious. You so love the world, you gave your son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have now and forever, yes, everlasting life. Thank you, God. Thank you. We're viewing Christ in the Scriptures during these days on Encounter God's Truth as we continue our celebration of Thanksgiving. I'm Wayne Shepherd, encouraging you to visit us at facebook.com slash Ministries to find more timeless truths for changing times. Please come and offer your sacrifices of praise. Now, I had the opportunity to ask Dr. Whitcomb this question. Our listeners know that this program is all about seeking to know more of what the Scriptures teach. Yet, that idea is not always popular today. How do we counter the growing lack of interest in serious Bible study? Well, Wayne, that is a very important question. Not easily answered. So let's listen to what God has to say about it. Through Paul's letter to Timothy, his last letter, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24, And the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition. If, now listen carefully, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth, and that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been taken, held captive by him to do his will. Isn't that amazing, friends? We must be careful about our attitude toward people, not pushy, manipulative, or arrogant. Be patient, loving, prayerful. I prayed twenty over 20 years for my mother and father. I believe my father finally came to the Lord in his 80s. And I want to do the right thing in the right way to really help people to understand what serious Bible study is all about. Now listen to what Peter said about it. 1 Peter chapter 3. If you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, 1 Peter 3.14, you are blessed. You're not to be pitied. If people hate you, despise you, don't panic. Do not fear their intimidation, Peter said. And do not be troubled. But what should we do? We want to help people. Here's the answer. Don't start arguing. Don't use logic. Don't try to persuade people about physical evidences of this or that part of the Bible. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Lord Jesus, I can't change anybody but by your Holy Spirit that you have sent to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Good, yes, eternally great things can happen in people's lives. So what are we supposed to do? Sanctify him, honor him first, then do what? Always being ready to make a defense, to give an answer to whom? To everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that's in you. But notice how you're to do it. So important. Yet with gentleness and reverence and keep a good conscience, your life better show something 
about your relationship to God or people will be totally turned off. Keep a good conscience so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. And friends, on top of all that, the Lord Jesus said in John 13, oh, what a precious statement he made here. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have what? If you have love one for another. People are going to be fascinated by watching you, how you relate husband and wife, parents, children, children to parents, members of a church together. And I say, Lord, what an amazing promise that, yes, people can actually understand who God is by watching how we behave, by how we relate one to another, like a missionary family in the foreign field. The natives see something special happening that they can't explain or they can't mimic. They say, tell us your secret. What is your secret? Husband, wife, loving one another. Parents and children, loving, respecting one another. That's a secret that only the Holy Spirit can provide. And I say thank you, God, for that answer of how we can help people to have serious interest in what God has to say in the only book he ever wrote. One thing is sure. We thank the Lord for the life and ministry of Dr. John Whitcomb. And we also thank him for you, listening friend. Please join us next time when we conclude this series on viewing Christ in the Scriptures. Until then, remember to meditate on a theme verse for this Thanksgiving season. It's Hebrews 13, verse 15. By Him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually, that is, the fruit of our lips giving thanks to His name. We certainly have a great reason to give thanks to the Lord because God's Word is true from the beginning to the end.